because the pain that we feel from depression, we just want gone. And that dishonesty that comes with substance abuse or with avoidance or with hiding and tucking in depression and anger, it, it may make you feel like you solved it. Right? You used the word earlier, freeze. Right? Alcohol freezes everything. And I think we're I think when we're doing these unhealthy coping skills, what we're really doing is we're just freezing it until I'm sober enough to see that I'm right back into the same situation. Welcome everybody to the podcast Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey, welcome everybody to this episode of How Depression Affects Relationships. And I have a conversation with Dr. Juan Santos. Juan and I did a few podcasts a few years ago. We did uh, episode 120 called Friendship Breakups and also episode 125, The Shame and Anxiety Dynamic in Couples. So check those out. They were very good. And Juan is the owner of Santos Counseling in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's an outpatient counseling practice providing individual, family, and couples counseling. And Dr. Santos is an author, a course creator, and a speaker. And he has been featured in local news, HuffPost, and uh, TV. And he also has a nine-week free relationship course that you can check out the link in the show notes. So Juan and I talk about these challenging topics for people that are in families and relationships with somebody that is, let's say, clinically depressed. We're talking about somebody that is experiencing depression more than just an on and off aspect of being a human being. Somebody who experiences day to day, week to week, month to month, and sometimes years. And yes, it can cycle. It can come on and off. And we also talk about the support partner, what their challenges are, and also what mindset and what things and tools that they can bring to help support the situation. We also talk about the role of substances and how that plays in depression and therefore also in the challenges of the relationship. I think this conversation brings insight and understanding and also a few helpful tools for those experiencing depression in their relationships. Okay, before we get on to the conversation, don't forget to check out my website, prepo.com. You can also sign up for my newsletters, which I give some relationship tips and also let you know some of the latest things that I'm doing in my professional work as a counselor and coach. And please don't forget if you're listening on Apple Podcast and also Spotify, you can leave us a review, please. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, a great help, of course, is sharing this podcast to people in your lives that you feel would benefit it. 
And you can also support the podcast financially if you're inclined. You can go to my website, prepo.com. You can hit the podcast page and support the podcast with a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, everybody, I hope you are enjoying the change of the season. This fall is absolutely beautiful in Western North Carolina. So I hope it is beautiful wherever you are. And I do hope you make yourselves a beautiful, beautiful day. Okay, here we go. My conversation with Dr. Juan Santos. Here we go, Juan. Man, it's been a little bit. It's been, uh, I think, I think it's almost been a year since our our last podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, a long, long minute since you and I have shared space together. Yeah, but it's great to keep abreast. We're keeping abreast of each other's uh, business and and uh, what we have to offer people in in the way of therapy and so forth through Instagram. So, really appreciate that you reached out, and it was so cool. I'm telling you, I was it. It was true. When you reached out, I was just about to reach out to you because I saw a couple of your of your posts and and that was geez, you know, over a year that we really didn't communicate. So I love that synchronicity. Yeah. You know what's what's uh, interesting, one of my friends, a good friend of mine, local physician here in the area, he had uh hit me up and he's like, Man, let me tell you about prepo. And I said, Whoa, hold on. <laughs> and it was it was you. And that's right around the same time I reached out to you. I thought that was so interesting that, you know, just, I mean, you're just such an interesting moment. So there you go. I wanted to share that with you. Nice. Wow, that's cool. All right. And I'm I'm really glad that you're up for, for this topic around depression relationships. It's not the most uh, fun and uplifting topic to to get juiced about, but you and I know how important it is to not uh, bury it, hide it, be shameful about it. So I thought we would just chat and navigate about how uh, depression affects couples in relationships or other people in their in their family and help people navigate it and things that they can do to make it a lot easier on them. Yeah, yeah, I think I think this is a wonderful topic, you know, when we look at depression as a variable and your relationship, right? So you're trying to build healthy relationships maybe with your spouse. I think right away, you know, you and I with that clinical background, it's important to throw out just numbers and statistics. So no, everything is not about numbers, but it is important to look at, you know, if we look at um, the Mental Health Association, it's around 15% uh, where we look at youth that are struggling in that area of major depressive disorder. And then 24% around the number for adults so it's important to look at that, to have that figure in front of you so you're able to just see its loudness and know that there's, there's a likelihood, a really strong likelihood that you may find yourself in a space with an intimate partner and that person, they bring a lot of wonderful qualities. And one of those, one of those variables they're going to bring may be depression. And you got to look at how we're going to walk through life with that variable not tearing us apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so true because... As we know, life gets in the way of a lot of things that we experience. So sometimes there's a tragedy, there's an illness, there's a loss of job, there's external circumstances that really affect people. So 
you know, I think that what, as you're as you're saying that it does happen uh, at that level for for couples that they may encounter one or both of them having some bouts or some long term challenges with depression. So it's I, I don't want to say we we should normalize it because I don't I don't want people to to feel that it's um, hopeless in in some way but normalizing it in the way that you and I just talked about to talk about it, to bring it out, to don't bury it and make it shameful to, to be able to make it part of your relationship to grow. Correct. Yeah. Because I think, you know, in some ways if we go too deep into the end of normalizing it and you're with your partner in a relationship, we don't want to get to the point of going, well, it's okay for you to be as angry as you are. I know it's depression deep in there. I'm just going to deal with it. Like, no, you know, we, we don't want to get to that point. Instead, we want to look at depression is in there in, in that situation. It's coming out maybe in anger due to a, a job loss that, that really came out of nowhere. But you both as a couple are able to have a constructive eye to eye. I see you. I hear you. I respect you conversation versus one that you're tearing each other apart. Right. Yeah. What, what kind of offerings do you give people let's say the the non-depressed partner when the partner that is experiencing depression that they may lash out they'd be more critical they may be more uh irritable what kind of offerings do you give the other partner to to help navigate that mm. and this will be the partner who is not struggling with that depression right that's right yeah yeah you know i think there there's a couple of platforms that could be helpful if you find yourself in a relationship and your partner is sharing with you that they maybe have a diagnosis of depression and that's part of it's going to show up in the relationship to some degree. I think education is vital. You know, it's no different than if your partner shows up and their ankle is just torn to pieces. Next thing you know, they're on crutches. It's a good idea to build that education to know how long is this going to last? What are the symptoms? What are the limitations going to be like? So we want to hit on that point of awareness. Let me gain some education here. The next is, and this is one that I found really supportive. It's where you are learning what your partner is doing. So you're kind of bringing it back. And I may, if my wife struggles with depression, I may go to her and say, help me understand from your end, how do you navigate it? What spaces do you go to that supports you with depression? And then she may say, you know, I work with an individual uh, coach or, or mental health professional. And I can see if I can be maybe invited into that space to learn from that professional a bit more of what's happening in that space of depression so that we're on the same page. Mm. Uh, third platform to look at is your individual self-care. I, I find so many times when I'm working with individuals and, and couples primarily that the partner who is struggling with the depression and the one that's not. So the one that's not, you may feel like you're walking on eggshells. You may feel that you can't have a bad day because you go, well, damn, if I have a bad day, I don't want that to spiral. To spiral. I don't want them to spiral with the depression. Damn. So there, you know, I really look at self-care. Take care of you and give your partner that space, that autonomy to know that they're going to work and they're going to take care of themselves. But I need you. I need you to take care of you, to do your self-care, to go for a walk, to get some of the vitamin D from the good sun outside, to spend time with your social system. And as you do that, 
it goes into the fourth platform of strategy, and that's leadership. You know, I think parents often tell their kids to spend time with a certain crowd, and it's typically because we want them to have a positive influence. So what happens is if you're the partner that is not struggling with depression, you being able to practice healthy self-care, like healthy hygiene, going on walks, you being able to out loud say, you know what, today I had a bad day. I didn't like that. And you constructively work through it out loud. All of that is leadership. Mm -hmm. And your partner gets to see it. And they'll slowly start to walk in those footsteps. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, the leadership, um, I look at it also as like being an inspiration to the other person, knowing mm -hmm. that I'm taking care of myself doesn't mean that I'm pushing you to take care of yourself, but instead of me telling you to take care of yourself, I'm just doing it myself and perhaps I'm inspiring you to do it in some way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I also, you know, it's interesting too, Juan, I'm not too sure what you do with this, but sometimes with some couples, if I sense that there might be an undiagnosed depression um, with one of them, I encourage that person to go pursue that avenue because if there is a clinical depression in one of the partners, then then as a couples therapist, we're working on a different level. Like you said, there's now acceptance of limitations because I know when I'm working with a couple that they say, ah, they're depressed or, but they think it's, they think it's a mild depression where they can get out of it the next day. So the expectations of the relationship are way beyond what they should be. And once that person is getting their own help, perhaps in their own therapy and, that, and their therapist can help with coping mechanisms and the relationship can understand and accept some of the limitations of, you know, sex. Sex is a big one. Mm -hmm. It's lost. And there's a lot. Sex is a big one, you know, irregardless if people are depressed or not, right? They don't yeah. have eye to eye. So, but that's a big one around expectations where if the depressed person doesn't feel like having sex, whether it's because the if they're taking an antidepressant, it may suppress their sexual drive or they just don't feel for it at all to let them know, Hey, one way that you can work with the limitation is to let your partner know it's me. It's not you. I, I don't have this drive. I am still attracted to you. I love you. Um, but I don't have the energy for this. Can, can we just touch? Can we be more affectionate? Can we cuddle? Can you help me just accept where we are right now. I think that's a big one with sex. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, that, that makes me think about the, right. So, we, so in our profession, we've got the big book, the DSM-5, and we're not going to go deep in it, um, but there's diagnosis in there. And we got depression, and depression's got symptoms, and the symptoms can be low energy, Right, so you're feeling depressed, it can come with low energy, it can come with low motivation, low interest. Your concentration has just gone to SHIT, right? It's gone in the wrong direction. Your mood is up and down. You can't guess which way it's going to go sometimes. Your sleep is off, your appetite is not where you want it to be. That, that sex drive, the libido that's down. And, and you know, as you're hearing it, you're like, man, you know, it doesn't feel good, right? That doesn't feel good. And, those are some of those feelings that come with it. 
So I do think it's important to have a clear understanding of how depression shows up for you on an individual level so that in your relationship, when you're in those really, you know, which can be tough situations, your partner's approaching and, and your partner's wanting to be intimate, but you notice that you can't focus well, you notice that your energy's low, you're not feeling motivated, you're feeling bad about yourself because you're not feeling motivated when normally you are motivated, mm. right? So there's that psyche kind of going down and your sex drive is down. And then you feel like you're not fulfilling your partner the way that you want to when they're coming and wanting to be intimate with you. So you're right, Prepo, being able to break that conversation down and talk about the elephant in the room. And if it's me speaking with my wife, it's, hey, you know, let's talk about what's happening here. You know, I, I know you're wanting to be intimate, but let me share with you what's happening in my space. You know, right now my sex drive is down. It has nothing to do with you. You know, you, you look beautiful. It's, it's part of just the depression that I'm feeling. And I think that strategy that you mentioned uh, is really beautiful where we look at, okay, how can we still dance with intimacy? If it's not that we're dancing under the covers, well, maybe we can hug. Maybe we could hold hands, put your feet up here and give you a foot massage, right? There's different ways to dance with intimacy. And that's where working with our coaches, our mental health professionals, can open up those doors and, and explore just how do we do that work? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's great. All that you said. And, and I'm also thinking about how it might be good for people to agree upon what, what's the best time of the day that that person might have even more energy to interact, to, to mm -hmm. talk, you know, cause that's how depression comes. It's 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 very cyclical in some ways with the level of energy. So to open up to your partner and let them know this is the best time of the day for me usually and and uh, ask for what for what you need. And as we're as we're stressing this, again, intimacy is about self disclosure and and transparency from an emotional intimacy intimacy standpoint. So some couples that only have had more intimacy around their physical and sexual relationship, this is another opportunity mm -hmm. to jump into another realm of vulnerable emotional intimacy with each other around bringing it up and talking about what's going on with their depression. Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're so right there. I think even myself, before I really got into the space of clinical work, much of my knowledge was intimacy, sex, you know, in, in the bedroom, intercourse, that's what that means. And, and it wasn't until later really going deep into the work and into getting to know so many amazing people. Uh, I've learned so much that each of us is a, almost like an onion. And the deeper you go into those layers, the deeper you're crawling into that space of vulnerability, of intimacy. And it could be done in so many ways outside of what we may think of just physical touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a struggle for people because with depression, there's at times, uh, emotional checkout, you know, that it may not be present with anything, but your darkness, and it might mm. be very challenging to, to allow your partner in or to be present. But, you know, there's different ways now with technology, man, you know, people could, they could, uh, text each other, you know, loving and kind messages. They can write more and email when they have the energy, you know, intimacy doesn't have to just take place in the moment. When people are thinking about 
that other person to me, I'm like, let them know, send a voice message through one yeah. of voice messages apps. Don't wait for the, for the right moment when you think that you're going to come home and express it. Hours may go by before and life happens and you might not feel the same way. So there's ways to, to communicate to each other, let the other person know how, what they're thinking about in a positive note, thanking them or appreciating them for being patient, for being compassionate. So there's, I, I think that there's many ways that people can expand and work with the cycles and the energy levels of, of depression. And, and I'm wondering for you, you know, when I, when I work with people that talk about their depression or think that they're depressed, I, I put a little bit of the brakes on, they can say, you know, I'm going to go to my psychiatrist or GP. And I just like, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you either way about uh, pharmaceuticals, but it may not be the first, the, the first checkoff list. Like I want people to really look at their sleep habits, the quality of food, uh, their stress levels, their mm-hmm. exercise habits, hormone imbalances, and, and also, as we know, the, the gut is the second brain. So some people have in, in infections like viruses or bacteria or parasites and mold mm-hmm. that could really wreak havoc on, on their gut, which we call it the second brain. And, and let them, you know, it's like, l- look at those aspects first, because that could be the underlying conditioning instead of just going for some of the medication, which I know that people are reaching for and they want some kind of relief, but it's very empowering to find some of the other underlying conditions that we can do with change of habits. I'm, I'm just curious, what's your thoughts? On that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I walk with you on that pathway. I think that when we look at depression, there's, you know, there's a fundamental truth to it that we're looking for, we're grasping for something to get me out of this, you know, because maybe there's pain in there. Maybe there's dissatisfaction, you know, maybe it's right now, you know, you and I are recording this in the fall and for that, maybe seasonal affective depressive disorder is coming up. You know, it's this depression that hits you through this season. You know, we get less sun, colder temperatures. And with that pain, we are just grasping, you know, what can I get to make me feel better? And I think as a human being, I, I get that there's times in my life where, you know, things aren't going well and I'm, I'm grasping for something. I'm grasping for something to get me out. And if it's a medication, I get it. I, I do find that it's, it's vital to look at yourself in the mirror and know that there's strength within you. We just got to uncover it. And I think that comes in, well, what are you eating? Like really write that down. What's the food that's going in your body mm-hmm. and know what it's doing. You know, most of us, you know, most of us listening right now, as you listen to Prepo and myself, you're able to acknowledge that you probably had a day in your life. You didn't eat too much. Well, it did something to you. It made you lightheaded, maybe easily to faint. And you know right away the effect of not having enough food. So that's where we can look at and say, okay, it's clear that food has an impact on us. Yeah. There is your exercise, right? Being able to engage in that, that increases your dopamine, your serotonin. Hopefully those bad boys are fighting depression. And we need them to do that. There's your hormonal levels, right? There's a second brain, the gut. There's your own ability, I think, to acknowledge, do you carry stressors? Do you toss them in your backpack and carry them through life? Mm. 
or is there a nice filter and things filter out that don't need to stay with you? Yeah. That has a lot to do with how we hold depression and how it impacts us. Yeah. So med- I think, I think medication is there when I work with my patients or if I'm doing coaching, we, we go into the conversation. I provide as much education as I can. Um, I may say, Hey, I don't think it would hurt to go sit down with a medication provider again for that education perspective so that you can own your own space and be able to have autonomy to decide which direction you want to go in. I think while we're touching on this too, Prepo, maybe looking at with depression, there's often and it's, it's, it's higher statistics in men that we as men lean towards substance use. There we go. Yep. Right. Yeah. You know, we, we may just feel that depression again. We're grasping what we want something to make it feel better. And we go and get that drink. And in suicide, suicide is the same. Suicide is higher statistically among men because we often engage in a more threat, uh, direct like activity compared to uh, opposite sex there. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that and what you've seen with depression and then maybe some of the not so healthy coping skills uh, that you've seen individuals use? Yeah, I was, uh, I was going to get ready to, to, to ask you that question or talk about, you know, I live in uh, Asheville. So that's like beer city, USA, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm coming, man. I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because, um, people that are experiencing depression, that's one, one thing that I check in and it's pretty prevalent. You know, we're talking about not just one beer a night. We're talking about three to six. And from my knowledge around that, it's not drink away your sorrows. It's freeze away your sorrows at the, at, when we're inebriated, it freezes and we just come back when we're sober again to the same place and even more because we feel the guilt or the shame of what we did. So it just doesn't get buried. It gets exacerbated. And I think like that's people need to also realize that on a physical level, the poison of alcohol shrinks the neocortex, the frontal lobe that is the rational thinking part of the brain that makes better healthier decisions and so we're if when we when you're doing that with alcohol other substances you're uh working behind the net you know you're not able to really get ahead of the ball game you're always playing catch up because of these other things that you have to overcome so i would really put out to people take a look at that because alcohol itself is a depressant right yeah yeah you know, gets that that first euphoria aspect, and then you know what happens in the crash, and and people's behavior and so forth comes comes usually in an adverse way. Um, they don't know how to corral it. So I do think that it's something that people need to to be really honest and and take a good look at. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you you know you threw it out in that way with the impact of alcohol. Um, something that I found really instrumental. And whether it's coaching or clinical work, I encourage those that work with me to do a hiatus. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Where if they are drinking, I say, you know what? Let's do what we don't drink during the working week. Mm. And I've noticed that it's drastically increased the effectiveness of the work that we do together because of the same reasons that you shared. You know, when there's depression and you, you got depression there, 
And the person's looking around and say, what else can you give me to, to make me stronger? Right. right. So then we go, okay, I'm going I'm to give you some steroids. Depression, the steroids we give it is alcohol or another substance or anger. And then depression's getting stronger. Next thing we know, we go, why am I not getting out of this? Depression looks at you and says, it's because you're getting me stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And as we know, we usually don't drink when we're exercising or when we're walking in nature, the things that, mm-hmm. that would help us in some way. Um, in somebody uh, that I was working with, they, they got a pet, they got a dog just to get them out of the house, just to, yeah, yeah. That they had to walk that dog, you know, every day. And that really brought them to a, you know, one baby step level that they knew that they were getting out and they knew they had to take care of something else that they loved. So it was something beyond just their darkness and it wasn't an overburden for them, but it was enough to get them uh, feeling worthy enough to take care of something else. So, you know, there are healthy steps for people to take. And I know it's so challenging because my, my father, I grew up with a, my father was depressed because of uh, challenges with his job and his income. After my parents were divorced, he went into a major depression. And I lived with my father um, when my parents got divorced and I was 14 and I chose to live with my father. And he, for, for a few years right after that, he was doing really well. And then again, some of the economy in Detroit tank. And it was challenging, man. You know, coming home, father's just laying on on the floor in his bathrobe watching TV day after day after day. And I felt as a as a teenager, you know, what can I do for, for him trying to uh, help in many ways that I didn't have the capacity to know what to do. But also it was a burden on me because I, I would literally want, I would literally at times when he was sleeping, I put my head on his, on his chest to make sure that he was still breathing, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I just named that because uh, I think people that grow up in a depressed household also have more sensitivity to it and maybe either more aversion or mm-hmm. more of the eagle eye and walking on eggshells sometimes around people's depression. Cause that's where, um, the aspect with substances and codependency comes in and codependency can really come in in relationships with with depression so it's really good for people to work out i had to work out some of my own uh guilt and and challenges my father died when i was 28 he was 57 uh, he died mm-hmm. from cancer uh but i had to deal with some of the guilt of those lost i call it the lost years of of our relationship where he wasn't so present. And um, many people, I think, are experiencing that outside of their their intimate relationships and other family members. So it and my friends really helped me uh, move through that, you know, um, being having good, close male friends and being able to be active and being in sports. So as you said before, self-care and taking care of yourself is so vital when you're a caretaker. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, people you think you drop so so much support and love there. There was 
I appreciate you sharing that because I think I think probably so many people listening re- relate and those those walking on eggshells. You mentioned that more sensitivity, and, and I think sometimes that's where it could be really challenging. That if your if your partner struggles with depression, they're living with depression. That you may you may have heard you know, you know you're listening. You hear people and he says walking on eggshells. Maybe you think to yourself, "Wow, I'm walking on eggshells too," or I feel that sensitivity. And it's where, you know, e- even if your partner is the one that's struggling with depression, its effect, if not addressed in a healthy and constructive way, can rain all over the relationship. It could crack the foundation of the relationship. It can go into impacting partner that is not directly affected by depression in those ways. So it's where, you know, if needed, both partners listen to this episode together to really bring that elephant out of the room and saying, hey, we can't keep going in that direction. Well, that, that's that's going to just destroy everything we've built. You know, we, we got to put an end to this cycle. Yeah. I think some um, some healthy coping skills, right? That's a word that we often use. And I, I like to think about it as not just the term healthy, but what's going to What's going to allow me, like if I'm struggling with depression, what's going to allow me to become the man that I want to be, to honor my values, to honor my purpose in life, my moral obligation? And as you, as I think about that, as you think about it, you may want to jot it down. And then you look at what practices, what habits allow you to get there. So if, if I value wellness and I want to be a father that my kids look up to and, and I want my kids to say, we, we value wellness. We value keeping a healthy heart. And one of my habits can be that nature walk you were talking about, where I'm going in the woods and I'm walking or I'm hiking. And what that does is it allows the coping skills, right, the quote-unquote healthy coping skills, to have more fire within them, to have more drive. And we can then begin them. I think honesty, when we do coping skills, is important. You know, it's it's rough as this is, and I'm gonna share with you. And people, maybe, maybe you're on the same page, maybe you're not. Sometimes when we do these healthy coping skills, like the go for a walk, you practice your deep breathing, maybe share some gratitude. You may not, it may not solve the issue, bam, right away. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes it's so hard because the pain that we feel from depression, we just want gone. And that dishonesty that comes with substance abuse or with avoidance or with hiding and tucking in depression and anger, it, it may make you feel like you solved it. Right? You used the word earlier, freeze. Right? Mm-hmm. Alcohol freezes everything. And I think, we're, I think when we're doing these unhealthy coping, so what we're really doing is we're just freezing it until I'm sober enough to see that I'm right back into the same situation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that that comes in with uh, this word that I've used on the podcast before. And, and it's just a, it's a exploration for me in my life right now about humbleness, like mm. being humble. And, you know, as you're saying, people may try some of these, these healthy coping skills and mechanisms that we're talking about, and it may not take them to the levels that they want. There's a humbleness around being a human being and continue to to walk in life and continue to move and accept some of our situation at times. Sometimes 
and acceptance can move us out of the burden of expectation. And then mm-hmm. that's why, you know, one, one thing that I, I offer people, and it sounds kind of silly, I say, if you have a hammock, go lay in a hammock. When I lay in a hammock, I don't effort. I'm being held up. And if I can really surrender and feel my burden and let it just, the weight of it just sink in, I'm being held up. So that means I'm being held up something greater than me. And I know that the universe is supporting me in some way. And I think that that little awareness can let people know that they're not alone in this, even though it feels alone or feels so isolating when they allow themselves to surrender to some of it. I know that surrender is not defeat. The, the uh-huh. surrender is, is letting go of a struggle. And, um, and I'm not talking about taking you know, people taking their lives and so forth. I'm talking about surrender to the resistance of the experience. And sometimes we're able to move through on a different level when we're doing that. Man, you're absolutely right. Mm. And, and that lesson there is that lesson not found in so many places, like all the way from an AA meeting that you accept and you surrender, you know, to, to you committing to your partner. And, and you accept what's in front of you and you surrender maybe all the what ifs and you just dive in and go for it. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's so much just strength and empowerment in there that it's the very reason why it's so scary. Yeah. 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 Right. So being able to work on, I think, I think, you know, I think we, we, we work on looking backwards and saying, well, I've been, I've been there. And obviously I didn't like it. So do I surrender not knowing where I'm going to go? Or do I return to the one place I just told you I didn't like? Yeah. I know I'm not going to return. I didn't like it. So then we take that. And some say leap of faith. Some say leap of hope. Whatever term you want to use, you put it on there and you take that leap. Mm. Yeah. You know what? Something is coming up for me. I I think it was, I don't know if it was your today's post on Instagram or, or yesterday, I know it was, it was uh, recently you talked about boundaries and I was thinking about our discussion today and some people have a hard time with their own boundaries of saying no, which then they're not aligned within themselves, which causes some symptoms and aspects of being depressed when we're not aligned with our own empowerment. Mm. We don't put up healthy boundaries. Then we're, we're just kind of wishy-washy and walking through the world instead of resourced in a way of, of uh, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, uh, what separates us from this is where I begin. This is where you end creating safety. So I'm wondering in in your thoughts around boundaries and depression, whether it comes with the person that's depressed or the partner themselves around just looking at uh, boundaries as a, a healthy way to navigate through, through this experience. That's a great question. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think it could be on, on both sides. So if it's if it's a partner that is not experiencing that depression, right? You're the non-depressed partner and you've got this boundary where, right, and, and I met you before the relationship and you tell me, you say, Juan, my boundary is that I will not be in the same space with someone that 
slams things all over the house in front of me and the children, right? I go, okay, honor your boundary, right? That you're, what you're telling me is your self-respect. What you're telling me is individual to you. What you're telling me is this is what I do not accept into my home. So I got you. And years later, you find yourself in a relationship and that happens. What is likely to take place is because that boundary was broken, if you stay in there, is that you may feel like a sense of you is lost. Hmm. You may feel disconnected from your values, from that authentic autonomy and genuine you. And that disconnect, it's almost like if you think about yourself as this giant, glowing, beautiful essence, right? You're just glowing and you're beautiful. And when you let go of that boundary, a piece of that energy goes away. So you feel just a little weaker, maybe. You feel a little disconnected from yourself and you want that piece to come back. And it'll only come back if you agree to honor your boundary. I think for the partner that experienced the depression, there's, there's boundaries there as well because maybe, maybe they have a boundary of, I want to treat my partner with love and respect. I want to honor them. They set those vows and they want to honor those vows. And there's a night or too much drinking, blackout, next day, words that should not have been spoken were spoken. And there's distance and disconnect. And then the partner with depression, where their depression came out through anger, they feel that disconnect from their boundary. And then there's an increase in depression there because of that same reason. I think boundaries, I like to think of boundaries as like your, your safe place. It could be your house, your cabin in the woods, and you get to decide, you, not me, not anybody around you, you, my friend, you get to decide what those boundaries are and why they're important to you. And people can't judge that. They can't tell you that's a wrong boundary. They can't tell you don't follow that boundary because it connects to you. I'll share an example so there's that clarity it's the one that I used for that. Uh, maybe it was the post that you saw. I come from a Hispanic culture. I was born and raised in Dominican Republic. And there, if I meet you, Prepo, I'm very comfortable coming to you and giving you a big old hug. You may share with me, hey, Juan, my boundary is, I have a physical boundary. You know, if I meet you, I prefer a firm handshake. And we have a difference now. And that's okay for us to have different boundaries. It is okay for your boundaries to be different than my boundaries. We understand why they're different. So we look at how do we respect one another. And when we look at depression in a relationship, it's vital for these two people that are agreeing to coexist to talk about where are boundaries showing up in here and to having consequences for boundaries when they're hurt. Mm. Very well put. I really like that, that to respect the differences of boundaries and to not judge somebody else's boundaries, to know that that the boundaries are yours and we get to change boundaries based on our experiences. We can change them based on how safe that we feel. So, mm. yeah, I think people should really explore their boundaries. But I, yeah. will, I will say, man, when I, when I do finally meet you in person, I'm going to give you a big-ass hug, though. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Definitely. That's my boundary. I love doing that. There we go. We had to, we had to talk. Yeah. Hey man, thank you so much for 
for sharing your knowledge, your experience, your thoughts on this. And uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, why don't you share uh, with people how they can get a hold of you and some of the things that you're that you're offering so that they know. Yeah, thank you, Preep. I appreciate that. And I always appreciate sharing your space with you. Um, I, I love working with couples. So I've got this free course that is exclusive for any couples that feel stuck and you want to get to that point of feeling connected with your partner. It's nine weeks. So I'm asking for you to commit to this relationship and it's all free. I'll share a link with you, Prepo, so you can put it on there. People can click on it. Once you go in there, it'll take you through a nine-week process, helping you and your relationship go from that really disconnected, stuck point to a strong, intimate, connected point. Mm, nice. And your practice is located in Greensboro. Greensboro. Yeah, Greensboro. If you are in the Greensboro area, I'm pretty close to you, Prepo. Um, feel free to reach out, reach out to us. Uh, it's called Santos Counseling. Um, and you can find us on any you know website, social media. Uh, feel free to connect. And we'll, it's a group of counselors in there. We'll be able to support any way that we can or lead you in the right direction so that you're moving forward. Hmm, beautiful. Thanks for doing what you do out there. And I really appreciate that uh, we had this chat together. Mm -hmm. Me too. Thank you. All right, buddy. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit prepo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.